Good morning. Welcome, uh, welcome to our Sunday morning service here at Refuge. Excited to be with you and uh, get going through the Gospel of Luke. That's where we'll be uh, this morning. Kicking off um, our study in the Gospel of Luke, and uh, we've gone through the remainder of the New, Test- uh, the New Testament, and really this is the last book that we have as a church to go through uh, in the New Testament in the time that we've been gathering as God's people. And so I'm excited to get through this. Um, I do want to just mention a couple things before we do get into the message. First of all, I'm going to ask you to pray. Pray because at the end of the month on April 30th, that's a Sunday at 6.30, we're going to have our first um, service in Spanish. Yeah. So... It's both exciting and terrifying at the same time. (laughs) And the reason why I say that is because, you know, even, you know, through through the um, what we're covering this morning. I'm reminded of how the Lord sometimes brings us to a place. To where we realize we can't we can't do it. It, It's impossible with man. It's it's really something beyond us. And yet with God, all things are possible, right? He takes the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. Um, he takes the bath ring of, of humanity um, and does something through them that just gives him glory. And so that's what we always need to keep before us. We always need to keep that in mind. And I was reminded of that as um, I don't know if I've been just waiting for the right moment or I've just been disobedient. I, I have to confess that. I don't know, but I know that that is not my comfort zone. <laughs> I've been waiting for the Lord to bring someone in, actually. Bring someone that is just ready to teach the word in Spanish, you know, and, and, and then we'll have a, a, a service in Spanish, but um, he has denied that. And um, so, yo hablo español, así es que vamos a tener servicio ese domingo en español. Y voy a hacer lo, lo, lo que pueda para explicar la palabra de Dios en una manera que se pueda entender y que le demos glorificación al Señor. Do you guys understand that? Yeah? Is that good? Okay. So we'll pray that the Lord... See, we're having that service, and, and what we're doing is we're, we're just testing. We're just seeing what the Lord does with that. You know, we can't assume anything. We're just asking, Lord, you know, if this is something that you want, if this is something that you desire for us to do as a church, right, this, this congregation, then we're willing to do it and see what the Lord does, right? That's what's exciting. It's always, um, you know, our, our walk with the Lord is never static. Never. <laughs> it's always dynamic. Um, if we're willing to just step out in faith, oh, he'll take his places and, and he'll do things through us that uh, are, are beyond our, our imagination. So I'm excited about that. So please, please pray for that. Um, it's not like we have a worship team who is just uh, fluent in Spanish, but thank God they are willing to learn some songs in Spanish um, to, to lead in worship. 
and, uh, and, and just get moving in that direction. So that's what we'll have. So Sunday, April 30th, if you want to come, even if you don't understand Spanish, come support and then invite all your friends that do know Spanish. And uh, that way we can fill this place up and, and just praise the Lord. Amen? All right, so I have that. And then today we do have a baptism. So just to explain something to you, we started doing this a, a couple years ago. And, uh, or was it last year? No, a couple years ago. Yeah, it's been a couple years. Um, and so we have baptisms here. Uh, not, not any, we don't take it off campus or, you know, out in another location, to another location. We have it here. And that's for everyone to witness that and to praise God um, of the, for the public declaration that those who are being baptized are making. And so that's what we do here. Uh, we have um, not only the people who are being baptized, but also uh, a short testimony as they're being baptized, some worship, and it's just a wonderful thing to experience together as a church family. So that's what we have happening this morning. Well, please turn in your Bibles to, if you haven't already, to the Gospel of Luke. So we have Matthew, Mark, and then Luke. And we're going to begin by reading just the first four verses of this gospel. So verse 1, as we begin, says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught." Oh, Father, as we consider just even these introductory words, Lord, may we consider ourselves and think about where our heart is before you. Lord, this, uh, this record of facts that Luke had compiled were addressed to Theophilus, a lover of God, as his name means, the beloved of God. Certainly your people desire to have that said of them, of us, Lord. That we are not only the beloved of you, but that we are called lovers of God. We, we love you and we express our love for you and the things that we say, the things that we do, and the manner in which we surrender our very lives to you on a daily basis, in the manner in which we conduct ourselves, Lord, in devotion to you, or drawing near, spending time with you, seeking your wisdom, your direction, trusting in the hope that you have given to us, in Christ Jesus, our Lord, 
And so, Father, I pray that you would minister to our hearts, that you would give us understanding by the power of your spirit and according to your word. May you be blessed. May you be glorified as we study your word. I ask, Lord, that you would do a special work in each and every one of us and corporately as a church as well. And so thank you for this time. We, we ask your blessing upon it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. So this morning we begin our study through the gospel of Luke. Luke is one of three of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which means that they are written with a common view, a common perspective. They cover many of the same events. They overlap, you could say, um, or are covered with different details of the same accounts of Jesus' life and in close um, chronological order, in the same order. Now, over 90% of Mark's gospel is found in Matthew's, just so you know the relationship between them. Over 90% of Mark's gospel is found in Matthew's gospel, and around 50% of Mark's gospel is found in Luke's. Now, of course, we will see, as we've studied the other gospels, some differences as well, but not inconsistencies. There's a difference. It would be like two people describing the same event. That, that's simply all it is. In fact, if you have two witnesses or three witnesses that are parroting the same thing from the stand, then you have to be suspect, right? You have to wonder, who's coached them? Who's given them a script to follow? But when you have three or four that are giving an accurate account of the same event from a different perspective, then you can know that their testimony is genuine. It is true. And so it is with the Gospels. And, and again, something that we need to keep in mind. No error, no inconsistencies, no contradictions, which the world is very quick to say, well, there's contradictions within Scripture. No, there's no there are no contradictions. In fact, if you look at Scripture closely, you'll realize that it's perfect from start to finish. And it's amazing. But the number of authors... Over the course of time that it was written, that it would all flow the way it does. Always remember this. As you're reading scripture, at some point you have to submit yourself to this fact. That the Holy Spirit is the one who directed the writing of scripture. At some point you have to come to just simply trusting in the Lord. You've seen enough evidence. You've seen enough. You know enough. You've studied enough to where you can simply trust. You know what? This is, this is the very word of God. I believe it to be true. Well, it can be relied upon. It can be stood on. It can be hoped in. And it can be looked to for everything, to provide everything that pertains to life and godliness. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, the Apostle Paul, as he writes to Timothy, said this, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, 
for correction and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And so it is with the Gospel of Luke. You know, Luke's Gospel contains 24 chapters, and it is written primarily, uh, originally, for a Gentile audience. So you can imagine, as Matthew was written for a Jewish audience and Mark was written for a Roman audience, that as we look to the Gospel of Luke, that it is a broader audience that it is addressed to, that it can be understood by. At the same time, we, uh, we also know that Luke is a physician. Uh, and not only is he a physician, but he's also a Gentile. And he both wrote not only the Gospel of Luke, but also the, the sequel to it. And that is the book of Acts. The Gospel begins with the introduction of John the Baptist and concludes with the ascension of Jesus. And again, as I had said, both books, that is the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, is written by Luke, but it's also addressed to the same person, Theophilus, which, uh, as I said in the prayer, means friend of God, beloved of God, lover of God. That's what that name means. So what, what a, a, a perfect way to... Uh, address this letter to perhaps it was uh, a man, as we'll see in the introduction, as we'll explain a little bit more about it, but also to those who are Christ's, those who are lovers of God. And it was for a specific purpose that Luke wrote this gospel my hope is that this gospel is indeed received by those who know that they are beloved of God. Those who are lovers of God. Are you a, a lover of God? Primarily and above all, preeminently, right? Those who are pursuing God, consistently drawing near to him, trusting in him. And like I said, and at the same time, knowing you are perfectly loved by God and nothing can separate you from his love. This is addressed to you. This is addressed to the church, to you and I. And at the same time, as we go through and there are people who are, who are listening, who are watching, who are um, desiring to understand who God is and what his desire is for them. I pray that those who are unbelievers may at some point come to understand God loves us so much that I understand now why he did send his son to die in my place, confessing I am in desperate need of a savior. You know, John, as I said, had stated the reason he wrote the gospel or at least, uh, actually, I was saying that Luke did, but also John. Um, in John, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. So in John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, John writes, he says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. 
But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. What does God desire is that none should perish, but that all reach repentance. The only way that anyone will get to the point of reaching repentance is to realize their need for a Savior. How do you realize that you're in need of a Savior? Well, realizing that you have sin and fall short of the glory of God. Um, We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, not by works, lest we boast, right? There's nothing that we can do, nothing that we can say that will bring us to that place of being saved by God. We can't earn it. It's all been done by the Lord. And we come to that place to where we believe, we understand, we realize that Jesus of Nazareth, indeed, came. He lived a perfect life. He was crucified for our sins, not his own. He was buried, and three days later, God raised him from the dead. Truly, he is the Savior. And so John writes that that is the purpose. That is the reason why all of the account of the gospel of John was written. And then Luke stated the reason he was writing this account in verse 4. We, we see it. he writes that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Have you ever questioned the certainty of your faith? The certainty of the word of God? Maybe not outwardly. You know, as far as, you know, in words. But you, maybe you've expressed it just in, in your own conduct. The way you respond to things. In fact, John writes in 1 John 1.4. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This also implies that your joy may be complete. So, you know, as the Apostle John His desire is that your joy, everyone else's joy may be complete. That you may understand and know that that which we have looked upon, which we have beheld, that we have touched, that we have really meditated on, heard from. Jesus Christ, that others would come to the place where they also Know him to be the resurrected Messiah. That not only would your joy be complete, but ours too, because we rejoice. As God's people, we rejoice when others come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And I pray that as we study the gospel of Luke, that you may be certain of of some of the things you have heard regarding Jesus, and that you realize how much he loves you, that your joy may be fully realized in him. That you would know what it means to be a lover of God as you respond to the love that he first loved you with and are drawn to him by that love. The basis of our foundation is all laid out in this gospel. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So once again, let's read through this introduction. It is one sentence, all four verses. Let's read through it once again. To the beloved of God, right? Verse 1 says, Inasmuch as many 
have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught." This is a beautiful introduction. By literary standards, this is actually regarded as one of the best of Greek literatures of the first century. R.H. Stein, in the New American Commentary, writes this, quote, Luke's gospel begins with a literary prologue or period that ranks among the best Greek literature of the first century, close quote. In this introduction, to those who study literature, who find the value in it and appreciate it, this, that introduction speaks to the genuineness and the seriousness and the intellect that Dr. Luke possessed. In fact, it kind of brings attention to Luke, actually, is what it does. It's like, that is beautiful. In its content, in its structure, everything is absolutely beautiful. But it is interesting. Guess what happened to the rest of the Gospel of Luke? Do you think it was written in the same way? <laughs> nope. It sure was not. He didn't use the, the same language that he used in, in this introduction. In fact, it is written in a language that your common, everyday person can understand. I love that. I love that because that's always my desire, is to simply give sense to the word, uh, to explain it in a way that brings clarity to it so that we can all understand it. That's, that's it. That's exactly what Luke did. Being the physician, led by the Holy Spirit, he wrote in such a way that each and every one of us can understand it. You see, Luke did not write the gospel to win literary awards and be praised by his contemporaries but rather to give an account of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ in such a way, as led by the Holy Spirit, that people would get, would get a clear picture of the good news of the redemption of man by God's grace through the sacrifice of the Son of God, who was victorious over sin and death for you and I. That was simply, that was his desire. That was his whole purpose. Luke begins by stating that he knew that others had already written about the life of Jesus. And in fact, uh, you know, some scholars believe that perhaps who he's referring to is perhaps Matthew and Mark. Because what's believed is that the Gospels of Matthew and Mark were written prior to the Gospel of Luke, and John was the last one that was written. But he says many. You know, if it would have been a couple, then it would have been a couple, right? I, that's my thought, right? Well, 
I know a couple of people have written about Jesus' Jesus' life, but he says many. So as I consider this, I I look to this, I believe that perhaps many were led. Many were, were desiring now that they knew that Jesus had resurrected an account of Jesus' life. More than just two. But we know that what's special about this is that it was directly inspired by the Holy Spirit. Knowing as it has been that it is accurate, it is the very breath of God. Again, for the purpose that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. You see, up to this point, if you've been here for any length of time, you know, as, we, as you've been taught, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, you know of many things. You know of many things, right? But again, sometimes uh, the way in which we resp- the way in which we, we respond to things sometimes just kind of betrays our words, you know. There's a little weaken- weakening of our certainty in who God is. Luke interviewed eyewitnesses, which more than likely included the apostles, and we know that it definitely included Paul, Mary, perhaps the mother of Jesus, Mary Magdalene, and others. We know that he was the companion of the Apostle Paul, uh, which uh, we know references speak to this in Acts chapter 16, verses 10 and 11, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, Philemon 1.24, and Colossians 4.14. All make direct reference to the apostle or to Luke. And I know that I had mentioned that Luke was a physician. But as I note that, we need to, as we think about that, consider that God used someone who was dedicated to science and research. A man who documented observations, facts, and findings, just as he found them just as he understood and realized them to be factual. And so Luke writes what he had been following closely for some time so that someone else may have certainty of what he has certainty in. It was commonly all these things were known commonly about Jesus' life, and yet he compiled them in a way that was led by the Holy Spirit And it's beneficial for you and I and for our faith to be further grounded, again, that we may have certainty in what we know and what we learn. Well, Luke goes on from this introduction to write about the foretelling of the forerunner of Jesus, John the Baptist. Let's continue. Verse 5 says, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah, of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, 
and both were advanced in years. So we begin with this introduction of Zechariah and Elizabeth. Luke gives a time in history that this took place in the day of King Herod of Judea, also known as Herod the Great. He was, a, um, he was known to be a harsh ruler. He was known to be a despot for a ruler. We know that Herod the Great was an Edomite. In other words, he was a descendant of Esau, Jacob's brother, an Edomite. And he was also known for being paranoid. So paranoid that he... Um, kind of thought that certain people were after him, uh, even to the point to where he had certain family members killed because of that. And so that is what we know about King Herod. So Luke was writing, hey, this is the period of time in which this is taking place. It was during this time that Zechariah and Elizabeth, who come from the line of Aaron, from the priestly line, according to 1 Chronicles chapters 23 and 24, if you're jotting down some notes, you can jot that down and know that that, so all the Levites or all the, all the um, uh, priests are Levites, but not all priests or not all Levites are priests because the priest came from the line of Aaron, who was a Levite. And so think about that. They're all Levites. But then there's specifically the genealogy of Aaron who were called to be and were the only ones that could be priests. So he came from that line. He came from the line of Aaron. And it was Zechariah who was chosen and Elizabeth chosen by God to bear a son that would prepare people for the arrival of Jesus. What a beautiful assignment. This is, this is something that God had reserved them for. But there was a problem. Elizabeth was barren. She wasn't able to have children. And they were both. It says here, and this is very, very nice, nicely said. It says that they were both advanced in years. You know, you see someone who is, uh, you know, has a little, little gray in their, in their hair. And you say, well, you're getting advanced in years. A little bit more gray or no hair, you know. You're getting a little more advanced in years. In other words, you're just old, right? <laughs> and we know that Zechariah and Elizabeth, well, they were, they were old. So, you know, she was barren. They were old. And yet, they were both described as being righteous before God. Even that did not cause them to be angry with God. Be bitter toward him. To turn away from the Lord, but, but rather they continue to trust in the Lord. And even as we see here, trust in the Lord. Or serve him. Bless him. Walk with him. It says in verse 6 that they were both righteous before, the, before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Again, just something to pause and to think about is that no matter what circumstances surround us as God's people, we should walk in the same way. 
that even though it was a reproach for Elizabeth to be, to be barren and not be able to have children, for them, well, they had will. They had chosen to walk uprightly before the Lord and, and not be angry with them, just as Job did. Job chose to not cast blame on God. In fact, he said, naked I came into the world and naked I will leave. Blessed be the name of the Lord, right? The, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. And he reserved himself unto the Lord entirely. Because we know that as far as Elizabeth is concerned, a woman being barren in those days would be a mark of disgrace. A stigma that would be visible and noted by people. What is possible with, impossible with man is possible with God. What is impossible with man is possible with God. And when something takes place that can only be attributed to God, he gets all the glory. You know, it is, it is written in Matthew chapter 19, verse 26. With God, all things are possible. I know we've probably all been reminded of that, no? At some point, we've even said it. We've underlined it, highlighted, made a little note, shared it on social media. Well, this, is a, this was an example, as we'll see, that all things are truly possible with the Lord. This couple, though, was a godly couple, entirely given to the Lord in every way, trusting in him, serving him, no matter what. And so we're introduced to them. They are described to us there. They had no child, and Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. In verse 8, as we continue, it says, Now, while he was serving, that is Zechariah, as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. And you shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or a strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared." Because uh, Zechariah was of the priestly line of Aaron, uh, he ministered at the temple. And his division was assigned uh, to enter the temple at that point and burn incense. Zechariah specifically was chosen as a man to enter the temple, and he personally burned the incense. Well, this, this was done every morning and every 
evening, every day, according to the law of Moses. Now, Luke, as we read there, describes to us that the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. Uh, What was the uh, custom in that day is that before dawn, the people would be led in by the priests in through the outer courts and going towards the temple. And as they were entering in, being led by the priests, they would be led in songs of praise, of worship to the Lord. What a beautiful procession that is. And that is, that'd be like us. Like, let's say, for instance, meeting, meeting down there, you know, uh, at the end of this building, all as, as a people. And, uh, and worship started there. Imagine that. Worship started there. And as we're coming closer and closer, we're just singing God's praises, singing God's praises, coming in through the doors, and then just fill this place up as we come and serve the Lord, sing his praises, and certainly as he, as he ministers to us. What a beautiful picture. And this is exactly what would happen in the morning. Before the break of light, before the break of day, this is what would happen. They would be let in. Three priests would enter into the holy place. One would remain. The three were going in there to prepare for the burning of the incense. And once all the preparations were complete, then they'd leave the one in there with the Lord. The people outside were praying, praying, and praying. And it was at that, that time that an, angel, that an angel of the Lord appeared to Zechariah to announce that Elizabeth would conceive and bear a child. When the angel first appeared to Zechariah, course, as we would expect, right? Zechariah was, um, was filled with fear. He was troubled. But the angel didn't do anything other than settle him with the word. I love how it is that, and we know it's Gabriel. Gabriel the archangel, he, he came and, and he just simply spoke to him. And that's what settled his heart. Another thing to note, and please consider this. It does not matter what you're going through. It is important for us to come alongside each other. But nothing can settle your heart. But the word of, or like the word of God can. Nothing. Because if you can't trust in the word of God, if you can't cling to it and, and know that God's word is better than anything else, then there's nothing that You can say as a person other than direct them back to the word and direct them back to the faithfulness of God. Direct them back to the love of God and the grace of God that will be of any good. So we as God's people need to direct people back to the word. That's what we need to do. Back to the Lord as we come alongside them. We need to do both. But this is what Gabriel, the archangel, said. He just just spoke. He, He didn't ask them. You know, how are you doing? I know that you've been kind of, you know, longing for this. And, you know, no, he didn't tell him that. 
He just went right into, hey, this is, this is what I've come to tell you. You see, the angel was there simply to give a message. That was it. For you and Elizabeth, the Lord has a special assignment. And it comes from God. Now, we don't know if it was a, a continuing prayer. Because, again, remember that Zechariah and Elizabeth, they were, they were advanced in years, right? They were old. So we don't know if at that moment, perhaps Zechariah and Elizabeth were still praying, perhaps for a child at that time. But God had heard their prayer, nonetheless. And the angel told Zechariah that his son would be called John. He will be set apart to the Lord, a Nazarite from the womb, and he would be filled with the Holy Spirit from the time he was going to be in his mother's womb. And that's not all. The angel continued, stating that John will turn the people's hearts to the Lord their God in the spirit of Elijah and make a people ready for the Messiah. The angel made reference to what uh, we know is written in Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Elijah had called on God's people, we know, to repent. And John would do the same thing. As we know that as he was baptizing uh, people in the Jordan, his baptism was a baptism of repentance to make a people ready for the arrival of the Messiah. And so we have it written out for us exactly what it was that the angel had spoken to Zechariah. And then we have his response in verse 18. It says, And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. Zechariah's response. How shall I know this? Now, on the surface, we can say, well, this is a very respectful response, right? It's maybe a, a, a common response, a common question, right? Hey, I know you're advancing years. Your wife has been barren. Uh, but... Your wife will be with child. And by the way, this is, this is his assignment as, uh, as a child. He will be a boy. His name will be John. It was all laid out. His question, how shall I know this? It can be better translated this way. No way. No way. See, Zechariah, although he was before an angel, was strongly doubting the news. Um, when you share the word, even with each other, sometimes you may respond the same way. 
even condescending. You know, how cute. <laughs> you, you, you trust in that? No way. How sad when we need more than the word to convince us of these truths. Oh, church, we need to get to a point to where it is the word of God that is deeply established in our own hearts that we may trust in the word. That when we're reminded of that, because when people remind us of the word, it's just speaking the very word of God to each other. We exhort, we rebuke, we build up, we admonish the word of God. Zechariah, remember how he was described. Folks, how was he described? He was described, both him and Elizabeth were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. And yet at this point, he was saying, I don't know how this can be possible. I just see no way. Perhaps uh, Abraham and Sarah were thinking the same thing, right? And they were. Because Sarah offered her maidservant to her husband in order to do what the Lord had already told them he would do. Zechariah was uh, uh, even told him, you know, as I said, for I am an old man. It's pretty cool how he referred to himself as an old man. And my wife, she's as advanced in years. So I won't say she's an old woman. Just <laughs> She's advanced in years. I'm an old man. She's advanced in years. But was telling him, hey, listen, you know this, right? Because by all outward appearances, this, is, this was impossible. Zechariah wanted a sign uh, you know, to be given to him, that the, the, the angel would give him a, a sign. Well, he did. <laughs> I'm going to put you on mute. Until the birth of your son, John. The angel told him that his name, my name, is Gabriel. And I stand in the presence of God and was sent by God to give you this good news. He was telling him, this is good news. And you doubted the very word of God. So therefore, you won't say a thing. Mute. See, God's word is not to be debated, but simply received, sought to understand and apply. The angel was simply there to let him know. This is, up for, this is not up for discussion. It doesn't matter if you doubt or don't doubt. I, it doesn't matter. This came from very, the very throne of God. I'm just passing along to you what was given to me. It will be fulfilled in its time. But for the time being, I'll give you a sign. Mute. At the same time, the worshipers were outside and they noticed that Zechariah was taking a bit of a long time to come out. They wondered. They were in, in other words, they were getting kind of anxious. They were concerned. But when he came out, he couldn't speak. And they realized at that time, oh, he's seen a vision in the holy place. He saw a vision. 
It's interesting how it was just that angel that had the power and authority to make Zechariah mute. What Zechariah was able to do previously as he went in, he was miraculously unable to do. And the angel told him, your lips will be loosed. Your tongue will be loosed at the moment your, John, your, your son, John, is born. God has the authority to give and take away with a simple command of his word. Again, for us, we need to simply only believe that he is able. He is sovereign. He is God. Zechariah couldn't say a word, but he tried to communicate with signs as we read there as we, as we have described to us, but we have no record of what he was trying to communicate, what he was signing, just the fact that he was trying to do something, like tell them exactly what would happen. Well, let's continue. Verse 24, and this, is, uh, this will conclude us this morning. It says, after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Um, there was nothing. She was, they weren't engaged. They were married. They were together for years. They were advanced in years. And so it wasn't that Elizabeth was, was hiding herself. It was that, that in this moment, of course, of her conceiving John, that, of course, Zechariah, can you imagine Zechariah? Ze Zechariah, actually, you know, in that moment that he heard that, he was, he was uh, made to where he couldn't speak, he was mute. He, he actually went and was intimate with his wife, and then when she conceived and she, she was with child, can you imagine his thoughts? Man, I should have just believed. She conceived and she spent, as we read here, this is what's described. She spent five months praising God. Five months. Just off to the side. Praising God, confessing that the Lord had blessed her with a child. He had removed the reproach that she had experienced up to that day. She was just singing his praises. And the child in her womb was filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, we, we haven't done a baby dedication in, in quite some time. And we have lots of babies, so I don't know. That, that, but that's up to you guys. You know, we, we ought to have that same desire is that, you know, our, our children, even from the time that they are in the womb, that they are set apart to glorify the Lord, that they would walk in his ways and bless him. You know, when we have baby dedications, it's, it's more of dedicating the parents to raising up the children in the ways of the Lord, their children. And... Um, and just to, to bless them and for them to simply to conf confess and, and, and agree, right? That, hey, this is our desire. We want to walk in the ways of the Lord and we want to raise our children in the ways of the Lord. And we want to dedicate them to the Lord, just as Hannah did with Samuel. And that's where we get the practice, by the way, with that. 
this is what Elizabeth did. That's beautiful. How long do you spend in the morning just praising God for all that he's done in your life? In the evening. See, Zechariah had led the congregation in songs of worship. He had planned, coordinated, and ministered with the other priests. And at this moment, he was mute. Couldn't speak. And when it happened, just as the angel had said, I am sure that Zechariah's faith in God became well-grounded in a way that he had never known before. Perhaps God in this was also ministering to Zechariah, a righteous man. You know, the Apostle Paul says, you know, of, just, of himself, I have not arrived, I have not attained. I am the chief of all sinners. And certainly at this point, Zechariah was saying the same thing. Oh God, I have not come to know what you can do what you desire to do, and yet here I am, unable to speak audibly, but rather contemplating, thinking about what you have told me in that holy place. I believe that Zechariah, a righteous man, needed to have certainty concerning the things that he had been taught about God but actually had allowed circumstances to cause doubt to creep into his heart. You see, where doubt is, certainty cannot exist. It cannot. They cannot coexist. It's either one or the other. It's either faith or fear. But it cannot be both. At some point, faith has got to crowd out every, everything else. For Zechariah, I'm sure it was established. O lover of God, know that you have been heard and that what you have heard is true. Leave your doubt behind and surrender to the faithfulness of God. Stand on the rock of truth that cannot be moved and find peace and hope in Christ alone. I pray that you would surrender to the salvation that God that he offers to each and every one of us by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ, that you would know that peace that surpasses all understanding as you trust in him alone. I pray that your, that your faith would be certain, that you would know for a fact that what you have heard is true. Father, I thank you, Lord, for this time that you've given to us as your people to gather together to Lord, be further established in our faith, Lord, to know that what we have heard, Lord, is true. That our, Lord, that uh, we would have certainty concerning the things that we've been taught. I pray, Lord, also that if there's anyone here who does not know Jesus as Lord and Savior, that today would be the day of salvation. Because your word says that if we confess our, uh, with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. For all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. As it says in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 13. Oh Lord, I pray, Father, that you would, would just help us understand the depth of your love 
and that that would draw us closer to you and that we would simply trust you at your word and know that you are faithful. Thank you, Lord, for this time. We love you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're, let's all stand up. Uh, we're going to have this uh, closing song as far as the, the message is concerned, just to think about um, what we've gone over. Um, it's this time that perhaps um, is a time that you could take advantage of to pray and whatever it is that the Lord has spoken to you about, um, that you, you do business with the Lord. Afterwards, though, I'm going to come back up because this is a special morning, as I said. We have a baptism. I pray that you, you all stick around. And uh, if not, we understand that some of you may need to go, but stick around because we're going to uh, witness uh, the baptism of some of our new brothers, brother and sister in Christ. All right. So that's all. That's all worship.